0: and longitude of the sun in the relative geo position that we're talking about and they could get an idea of where we are and where we're going just because of the proximal region they would get they'd probably be able to narrow it down within like
1: three months I just have three letters to say NFA SKC (laughs) sky is clear buddy winds are low we should be up there not down here (laughs) soon enough Maybe one day, if you ever I get might...
0: an F thirty five Raptor, I will be your co pilot.
1: I might just have to take you for an exploratory mission so that you're not so nervous.
0: Actually, I just want you to get a decommissioned F fourteen Tomcat so I can be Goose. Have you ever don't seen hit them? the ejection seat? But because I know how that ends. But yeah. um, it's an expensive I do want to like, landing. You know, reach up and like I don't see him. He's under six. I'm looking for him, Maverick. Like where are I don't see him. Technically, I should be Maverick. So I need to learn how to fly because you look more like Goose and I look a lot more like Maverick. But Goose dies. I won't play Wait, the ejection. seat. I shouldn't
1: have said that. I won't pull, yeah, spoiler alert, in reverse. (laughs) Did you know that all these municipal airports that you can land and go, you know, in their little lobby area has a, it always has like a velour couch, like from the 70s, that orange plush whatever, and they have a a VCR TV combo and Top Gun, 80% of the time is in the VHS player, it's wild. I mean, how many people (laughs) would
0: have started, it makes complete sense, if you were going to fly and you were in the mid 80s, like. That was the movie you watched that got you intrigued about flying. It That's was a great for me. movie,
1: man, and I like the new one too. It was a very uh, Star Wars esque ending where they where they kind of flew up and then down into the to shoot that thing. Yeah, whatever that was. Wait, are you talking about the new one or the old one? I'm talking the new one. Okay, the I'm new talking one, the old one. I know the old one's great, and then I just transitioned and oh, say okay, so. that the new one is also great, dude. We time the burped. new one is really really good. That one is good, but the ending reminded me a lot of like, yeah the The first star wars episode four whichever one that is um yeah so it reminded me that speaking of tomcats have you seen the movie tomcats yes oh i love that movie it's so funny yeah it's got gary Busey's son in it but back to
0: the original tom like top gun raise your hand even though we won't be able to see you if i can you were born somewhere between 1970 and 19 probably more like 75 to 85 and you decided in the early 90s i want to be a A fighter pilot. pilot. That was basically every single kid that I knew at the time. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had my, in eighth grade, I had my application to the uh, Air Force uh, officer program and the Air Force Academy. I had my letter written and tried to get all my, uh, I got my recommendation from a governor and, or what was it, a state legislator and all this other stuff. And then I realized, oh, wait, you can't fly if you need glasses. And that was right around the time I figured out I needed glasses. I'm like, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so, when I was
1: a kid, I think I, and then it changed I, the most prevailing oh, thing I wanted to be was bummer. a paleontologist. Cause I thought dinosaurs are awesome, but man, I'm glad I didn't do that. Cause that would yeah, be I boring.
0: I went that, I went that too. I bought a paintbrush yeah. and I used it to scrape <laughs> dirt off of stuff. Thinking I would, next thing i was unscraped, was going to be a dinosaur bone. I would sit in it the wasn't. driveway
1: looking at rocks and like for looking for fossils. And then it turns out like just about everything is a fossil. Like when you look at rocks, are like, rocks are cool. And I got into rocks for a while and, uh, there was a certain gravel company that was local that um, that would d- come and dump, like, I don't know, river rock or whatever. And, man, you could find some really cool, like, legitimate fossils. I don't know how old they were, but you could see, like, little shells and snails stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty cool. I don't know. Did you ever get into the
0: arrowhead searches? Because I lived on a farm. So obviously, whenever you see a mound, you're like, oh, those are Indian burial around. So you'd go over and you'd start digging through the rocks trying to find an
1: arrowhead. I never found a real arrowhead, I don't think. I I mean, I found rocks shaped like arrowheads, but they weren't napped or anything. So, Um, okay. So I had an idea for a topic (laughs) if you're ready to get on. Oh, yeah, I'm ready. Okay. So we hear this word all the time and it's been said a lot lately by people. Mm -hmm. Um, We hear the word Game changer. And there's actually a product called a game changer. But I thought how cool would it be if from the beginning of our journey we went back and thought about what were things that we encountered and when we encountered them it might not have been when they were released, but when we encountered it we thought this is a game changer well, for what good, we do. This is a good topic. Because I can think of a few and I feel like once we start talking, yours might be oh, yeah, I similar. Have six. And then then uh, it might make me think of a few more. I already have a lot. Um, but now I'm just gonna go ahead and get it out of the way. Man, this is a good one. Yeah, um, Because <laughs> I think this is a cool thing. I topic. like it because it's this open-ended is, yeah, and it gets it people thinking like, do I underappreciate this, this technique or this yeah, whatever? You know, we gotten, all know what a Game Changer bag is. So do you underappreciate your Game Changer? Because I legitimately think it's got to be near the top, if not the top thing in my bag that is a legitimate Game Changer. If you started shooting in 2018 and onward,
0: you almost don't have an idea of what... How what Big it was like before. a pivotal difference yeah. was it was to have a game changer versus before. And I started in nineteen, but I started shooting before that. So I was shooting from twenty ten ish, twenty twelve onward. And the differences. I mean, my first bag, rear bag, was a a sock with airsoft BBs rolled inside of it. It was four tube socks. It was a tube sock with sand, and then stuffed inside of another sock, stuffed inside of another stock, going the other direction. You keep doing that, and then you just use a zip tie at the end. I think Baker still uses one of those. More or less, yeah. <laughs> and then, then I switched it over to Airsoft BBs because I wanted it to be lighter. And then I switched over to, I forget what else, some other bag. I think I bought like maybe a Tab Gear or something similar. Um, and then in, eight, it was I think it was 18, um, 18 or 19, Say I had to have been 18. I bought a pint size yeah, pint game size. Game I bought changer. a full size, and That's then what I you bought had a pint when size. I met you, so. Yep, and I used the pint <laughs> size almost exclusively, and I was like, "This is awesome." So for me, what was the? Let me take Oh, the first thing.
1: Well, let's keep okay, talking. Let's start about from
0: the, the start from the very very beginning. Okay. What was your first revolutionary? Oh my gosh, this was an aha moment, like where you remember going this was cool. I'm, I'm going to date myself on this, but I guess I will first, because I'll tell you how far back this was.
1: Well, I was putting bookends for my point of my discussions. The starting point for me was literally the Game Changer, when I realized that it, with a properly balanced rifle on a bag like the Game Changer, you can get to the natural point of aim much quicker. And there might be things before it, so I'm interested to hear what you said. But I don't want to um, leave the game changer behind. No, we're, we're going to come, come back, back to and that. probably touch For it a little sure bit. For
0: sure, we're yeah. going to come back because I think there's a lot to unwrap. Yeah. Um, so my very first rifle was like the very first rifle I ever shot was a 30 odd six hunting rifle. Well, one of them, and a bunch of other stuff too. But 12 gauges and 30 odd sixes, more or less, hunting and 30 30s. And then when I started actually getting into like semi-precision i wanted to shoot that gun and i could never get it to do any better than like two to three inches it just was horrible it was pie plate and that's being generous was that the gun or you uh, well that's the thing i then switched over to it, it was the gun the gun is horrible but um it was a semi-automatic 30-06 what is that 840 or eight whatever the remington 1980 something
1: yeah i think my dad has one of those yeah it's yeah. it's like it's, really well known
0: but it's no bueno no so I ended up buying for the first rifle that I purchased, which was in 2006, I think, somewhere in that vicinity, I bought a 17 HMR when it first came out, or very close to when it first came out, and I remember thinking, wow, I can shoot one-inch groups at 100 yards, and then I kept shooting, and I have, I still have it, it's hanging on my wall, Um, it was the first time I put together a group that I thought, this is what it means to be a precision shooter, I took a quarter and taped it to a backer at 100 yards and wanted to see if I could hit it five times in a row. And I made a perfectly vertical group across like the middle half to the bottom edge where I have 17 HMR
1: bullets ripping through this quarter.
0: And it just cut perfectly little circular holes. And I Were
1: they like full metal jackets or ballistic tip? These ones were ballistics. Yeah, all mine are ballistic tip. I didn't know how those would act when they hit a quarter. They're that, it went straight through. Okay. Um, but at any rate a small the, hole or did it like make it no, bigger it's a small than a hole. 17 it looks hole. like
0: if you took a 17 cal and just lasered it out of okay. it and then it was a little rough on the back edge but not much copy um i had that and to me that was a game changer to go the cartridge and the rifle make a huge difference i mean this is literally the beginning of my precision rifle journey no concept of other than just pull a trigger it goes bang you go boom out oh, did i scope myself no um then fast forward to get a get a 17 hmr and then try to do all the things that you think you might try to make a group smaller. You know, hold harder, hold less hard, push on the bipod, pulling on the bipod, mm-hmm. loading the bipod, squeezing with your right hand, exhale, like <laughs> all the stuff.
1: Yeah, I think I had a br- pretty similar experience um, a little bit before that. You know, it's not a similar experience to exactly what you had, <laughs> but a similar level of transition or... or moment where I thought okay this is way cooler than what it was before and that was I had a break action Daiwa 17 Cal pellet gun that was like my first gun open sights and everything and then uh, for my birthday when I was like 10 or 11 I got a, a Ruger 1022 with a little Tasco scope on it Oh and yeah, I, I thought you know because it was a scoped rifle um, and it was faster and bigger bullet and stuff I thought man this thing is point and shoot you know it, it was a weird feeling to going from a group that honestly I never measured on paper, uh, what my pellet gun would do, but but the uh, the twenty two was pretty impressive and I didn't even think when I was that young I didn't even think enough to say, let's see what the let's compare the two. Like I wasn't a scientist at that point, like you're yeah. talking shooting group sizes, but I was just like, Oh my gosh. I'm going from like a twenty percent hit probability to an eighty percent on a squirrel.
0: Yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah, I had a similar one with the old ass ten twenty two and then we had an even older uh, single shot bolt action ah, Winchester something One from something from like the 60s 50s 60s um, and man that thing at a 26 inch barrel with iron sights I don't care where you were standing if you were aiming between 50 and 100 with the iron sights you would drop a Coke can now granted it was a little off at like 100 yards but at fifty yards, you could consistently peg a coat can with iron sights, and it was noticeably more consistent than the
1: newer quote ten twenty two. What do you think this cop's going to do when we pass by him with these headsets and microphones? Do you well, think we should just set 50, it down 50, real 50. quick? It's a I'm going to set mine down. Stand okay. by. I'm going to keep
0: talking just to record this for posterity. So I feel like he's getting off, and he's not going to see us if you slow up just enough. But highway state patrol, state highway patrol of Ohio, state trooper, we salute you.
1: Yeah, if they knew we were from Michigan, they'd pull us over just because, probably. Heck,
0: yeah, he doesn't even have a real license plate. It just has a number on the back. There's no numbers. It's just a line, line, and a little wave that says Ohio State Patrol. How do they not have license plates? Oh, he's got one on the front. 0436. <laughs> All right, I Whoever think we're good. Whoever drives that I can vehicle, we on. like
1: you. You were a nice guy. You didn't pull anybody over for things that weren't really needed. Um, I know, you can't even talk on a cell phone and hold it to your head anymore in Michigan. Not, so free I'm guessing, though, if we have headphones on, it kind of That's defeats the purpose. Prob- I think it's illegal a to drive with headphones on. I agree. So it's a good thing we're not, we're not driving headphones. I'm not driving. We're driving. Um,
0: yeah. So, anyway, back to the stories. Uh, 22s, that was cool. So after I got my 17, I put a BSA Sweet 17 scope on it. I forget oh, what gosh, was on. I have that
1: same scope I know. for my
0: 17. It was, like you know, the drop compensating kind of oh, where it tells you how far you're supposed to go. And you didn't know anything about it. You're just like... I remember dialing to the number that it said on the turret and going, oh, I'm not hitting, must be off, something must be wrong with this scope. And i just keep finkling around with a number of clicks in and around it. Ray Finkel? Ray Finkel, Finkel Einhorn. I would just keep dialing back and forth until I'd hit it. And so once I got to 100, then I'm like, I bet I could do this further. So i put eggs out, and I went 150, smack, smack, smack. Ooh, I wonder if I could do this at 2. And part of my, like, routine, ritual, fun was just grabbing a dozen eggs and then stringing them out down range somewhere between 150 to 200 yards once i'd clean 200 i would go out further and i start at 200 and go out to like three i ended up getting out to 300 yards with eggs and pop bottles to see how many times i could hit them or if i could blow them up and somewhere towards the end of that i'm like man wouldn't it be cool if i could i can see four or five hundred yards here and then i try and i'd never touch the thing right i didn't even know what i was doing um then i bought a 308 it was a weatherby and i went oh i shot like a six inch group at maybe 300 yards and went this is awesome (laughs) and i had no other i had no real clue but um point being i think one of the first big game changers honestly for me was just learning that the rifle itself and the caliber has a big effect on the general precision capability of the system that was Mm -hmm. a big eye-opener because I mean, if you're just getting into this, you don't
1: know. What, there is a potential. There's yeah. a relationship potential between the caliber. Yeah. You,
0: you could make a great, if someone is completely uneducated and has how to shoot a rifle, they could make a quarter minute gun shoot four inches if they literally did everything wrong. But you couldn't take a four inch gun and make it shoot a quarter inch. So right. the lower boundary of what you're capable of with certain equipment, specifically the rifle, becomes much higher. And you have a better chance of achieving better results as you progress with higher quality equipment. And that's what I learned early on. Um, next big thing. Let me think. Uh, oh, so that was where caliber switching I went to center fire, 308. It was about an inch, half inch to an inch at 100 yards, and I thought that was really good at the time. And then I got a 6.5 Creed, a Hawa barreled action 6.5 Creed, and I ended up building three of them. And What does building mean when you have a Hawa so five? Hawa is unique. Hawa is just a off-the-shelf company, like a savage, but they sold, one of the few companies that sold barreled actions, they were $400, 450 bucks at the time. A barrel and
1: an action together?
0: A barrel with an action was $450. No trigger? Or just just With a-, a trigger. What? Yeah. 450 to 500 bucks. That was well, they what it do was. don't do that from- anymore, do they? Yeah, they do. I think. Wow. I'd have to check to see, but I haven't had a need to order one since 2015, but, <laughs> right. 2016. but that was a thing. And they sold a lot of them, so I went up to Jay's and uh, Gaylord and I'm like, hey, you can get these. Yeah, so ordered a barreled action, heavy barreled, quote varmint contour six five creed. Um, I get it, awesome. Put it into a stock. I forget what I got, like some crappy howa stock, and then it didn't shoot well. It was uh, then I ordered a different stock and put it into a manners, and bang, it shot awesome. So I built another one and another one and had two or three different variants of the same exact same rifle Mm -hmm. um, that helped some buddies build theirs. And it was cool because they all, this is another big, uh I I assembled them um, (laughs) with them there. (laughs) The, all of those shot virtually identically to to within, and now I understand why, but (laughs) didn't at the time. Once you have the same ammo and the same barrel action slash cartridge, you're effectively going to be the same. If the same bullet is going the same speed, your dope data and group sizes will be roughly the same and we were all shooting half to one moa half to three quarter with these builds and we were like this is an unsa, this is insane and it only costs 450 dollars are you kidding me well i mean now i know better uh not to say that that's bad but that's just that was available in 2015 2014 pretty commonly just yeah off the shelf
1: yeah and it's funny that the varmint contour used to mean that you had the heaviest contour (laughs) i guess that was a a game changer moment for me when i realized what weight does to a rifle and uh the top gun theory that uh, ab put out in their book but um you know now you see a lot of straight contour it's not even contour right it's just straight but there are super heavy contours and it's become the norm for competition shooters that are not doing a a ruck style field sniper style competition to have something close to a straight contour you know mtu is kind of on the lighter side for what we see in matches and then all the way up to a straight contour so i think that shooters gravitating and understanding um, that weight reduces recoil was kind of a game changer for our sport in particular People have taken it too far at, at sometimes, but I feel like that the relationship is definitely there. It can be proven, and uh, it, it was a transitioning point in the PRS type matches for people to increase the weight in their guns. Definitely, yeah. yeah but it,
0: that imbalance point, right? Yeah. Not just the ability to put weight on your rifle, but to put weight to specifically understand it and where to, where it to do matters. something about it. Yeah, but that gets closer to the game changer. There's actually one other pivotal moment that I had prior to those two transitions, um, and that was optics. So I went from uh, like Tasco type scopes, cheap, cheap scopes and whatever you could buy on either online or through like a Dunham's to uh, a Nikon. And a Nikon at the time was like, oh, yeah, this is a great scope. It's got a PDC reticle and MOA adjustments. Like, that's
1: dumb. But yeah, um, that's funny that you <laughs> called that out because I had that same transition from whatever... Hundred dollar optic I was using to the Nikon, which was supposedly like, oh, in my mind it was way better because it was four hundred dollars or something like that, you know, 450. (laughs) Yeah, Nikon, meanwhile, Nikon doesn't even make scopes anymore, I don't think. I don't think they do either. No, no, and
0: um, so from that I had the Nikon and then I got a, then I stepped up. I went to a Burris XTR. Actually, I think I had a Sig Sauer in there in between or a Burris, one of the two, but I had a Burris XTR, XTR2, had a Sig Sauer. Tango or X-Ray, whatever they're... Tango 4, end. Tango 6. It wasn't the Tango 4. It was the nice. It was the biggest one, a 34 a mil six. tube. Might have been the Tango 6. Um, it was a big one, and it had like a locking turret and an internal the level. The turret's gigantic um, when you pull yeah, up on that thing. Um, which from that, and then at some point in there, I'm like, you know... I'm just going to bite the bullet. And I, I kept hearing about this company called Nightforce. And so I'm like, I'm going to buy this Nightforce thing. It's $3,000. That were like 2800 bucks. I think I got it for twenty two at the time. And this is going back 10 something plus years. But it was like $2,400 or so. And I remember thinking, this is an insane amount of money for an optic. I haven't even, two of my rifles don't cost what this scope costs. But I, you know, begged, borrowed, pleaded with my wife, hey, honey, I'm going to get this thing. I'm going to buy it with my bonus money. Uh, I don't really want to tell you how much it is, but it's expensive. So just please don't ask. And, okay, if that's what you want, like, it's your money. Have fun. And so she sat in the car while I went into Cabela's, and I come out with this scope. And I remember had at Cabela's? It. That I had surprises at Cabela's. me. I made multiple trips there. probably like, had dust on it. It was an MOA scope. That's okay. the only reason it was there. Okay. Um, but, yeah, they, they had some night forces. So I'm like, oh, I want this attacker. So I got it and it was a big change because i recognized how consistent that optic was how clear how clear it was and it was my first um like call it matching reticle to turret so that moment of going matching reticle to turret was a big one for me even though it was it was moa um uh, shout out to craig arnson for talking me off that moa ledge real early in my career <laughs> he uh, he made fun of me at a match he's like you know you're a really good shooter. What the are you doing shooting MOA? Just go get a mill scope and call it a day. This is my like the end of my first pro match in uh, April of 2019, and I remember going, "All right, that's fair." The very next match was Southington for me, and I <laughs> I placed fourth. And uh, yeah, I had swapped scopes between those two. I got to a mill scope. I Must went, well, have been because easier. you switched. Well, I mean, it certainly seemed that way, but I, it, it was, wasn't. What was easy about what was easy about it was people talking in mills versus having to constantly convert to moa it was a game changer for me to have to think in the same unit that most of the other guys were using and i didn't i didn't put two and two together that this could have been a lot easier a lot earlier if i had just gone to the call it universal unit that we generally use because it's simpler and easier to understand um, from just an additive and subtractive standpoint and smaller numbers are easier to use so yeah for sure but so that was a big aha moment. Going to a high quality optic and recognizing the difference between a high end buy once, cry once optic versus a bunch of baby steps that get you to some place close to where you want to be, but not all the way there. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I. I'm glad I did because I wouldn't have had that experience. But you know, to anybody else listening, that's kind of in that, I'm not really sure what I should buy next. Yeah, might, save yourself. The save ink. yourself some money by just waiting a few months longer, or maybe more to get to the exact product you want because it will save you a lot of time money effort energy in the long run
1: yeah so something along the same timeline was the transition for me from six five down to a six mil projectile yep and finding uh the greatest bullet on planet earth which is the 105 hybrid um <laughs> and i've shot a lot of six mil caliber cal- calibers at this time uh at this point in time i've shot six six by 47 i shot six gt i've shot dasher. i've shot six bra and i'm currently shooting six br so the trend here is like starting with a cartridge that was a hot rod for the caliber you know that six creed slash six by 47 they're pretty similar and yeah, they're kind of like 3,000 to 3,200 feet yeah second. they're like below the 243 win, but they're pretty close you know to, to giving you the highest close to the highest level of performance i mean i know you can do a six prc something crazy six you know whatever jam it neck, neck something down and put it in there but but for the class, like more of the hot rod type caliber um, for the 6mm bullets. And then moving myself all the way down to the most efficient car- uh, caliber or cartridge for the caliber being the 6BR. So that was another uh, game changer. When I transitioned for me, uh, when I transitioned into being able to see rounds fly and see bullets land. Um, that was kind of like, it, it was... mutual transition it wasn't just you know a more efficient bullet um, with less recoil it was the fact that I was transitioning to be able to see more and it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing is it because I was becoming a better shooter better at building positions or was it because I was uh, shooting something that was slower and uh, less recoiling it kind of all happened all at once but for me that was a huge game changer as being able to see a very high percentage of my shots downrange.
0: Yeah, I would concur with that. I had a similar time. I mean, I think we're both talking sort of 2019-ish to oh, yeah. maybe 2020-ish. Um, I went from a 6.5 Creed down to a 6XC in the second half of 2019, and I, I remember the exact same epiphany. Oh, my gosh. Like, the difference in shootability and ease of use around a 6 mil, even from a 6.5, was pretty eye-opening. But when you're used to 6.5s over and over and over at 2800, on a lighter gun and then you transition into a heavier gun with a six mil it just feels incredible almost like cheating um but then that continued for me it went from six X seat and i immediately jumped down to the dasher and it was even easier yet
1: hmm. bless you um so uh, from so outside of that same time period we got it okay go ahead Game changer. We got to get to the
0: game changer. RCX, but that was my first one. I did go to the game changer in that period. So let's start with that,
1: and then we'll keep moving forward. The interesting thing for me about the game changer is I did get a game changer. I actually, picked it off at the prize Picked off the price table at my very first PRS match, which was LRSE in 2018, and it was one of those Cordura ones. Oh yeah. So when I. I don't even remember what I shot that match with, which is pretty crazy to say that I did not show up to that match with any form of bag that I would use, that I would call a positional type bag. <laughs> so weird. I probably had like a square block off. I, I got off of Amazon or something weird like that. Just a regular rectangular, rectangular cube of poly beads. I cannot tell you what I did on a cattle gate. Like I don't even know. <laughs> I don't remember. Like I know we shot one of those hay ring circular cattle gate type things. Yeah i don't remember getting a very high score on it we'll just call it a two and i don't even remember how i attacked it it was insane um thinking today going back in time figuring out how you would build a position on that is just weird um so i had the cordura version and then uh tom was there in the the paddy wagon the meat wagon whatever he calls that thing and he opened up the back of it and there was canvas game changers and i'm like why would you want canvas I already have the Cordura one Um, it took me three or four months to even try the canvas one and I was like okay canvas was a game changer for the game changers like yeah <laughs> um and then taking the beads out and putting sand yeah. was another game changer
0: oh and even in between there the original game changer you couldn't change the fill easily you had to oh, cut yeah. the stitches out dump it out yeah. pinch it hold it see yep, that feels about right if it was too yeah. thick and then you would modify
1: it adding the zipper was the game changer to the game changer then it was a zippered game then changer yep. now it's a pour spout which is even even more, more game changing more, more more of a sure thing you know you're, yeah. not, gonna, you're not gonna come on zip Um, But changing from the Cordura to the wax canvas was a game changer, but also starting to manipulate the sizes because there was no um, mini one. When you were talking about there was no mini one this year, pint size um, that you were talking about that you started with. So I had the full size, and then the pint size came out, and then um, long after that the schmedium came out. And the the weird thing about the different sizes, not the weird thing, the interesting thing to note is that they – the, no, the nodes or the lobes they're different heights like if you go back and look at the pint size compared to what we're shooting with the Shmedium slash plus one they're different like they have a different yeah. they're not just in a, a straight up like scale down factor so they do legitimately have different purposes or they're better at slightly better at certain things than others but The game changer the next game changer for the game changers for me was the different sizes that you had options with and what you could how you could manipulate it with your hand and then the fills and then the the different canvas um thicknesses because they started and they grabbed whatever canvas they could find and, and now i think they've really honed in on the most flexible possible canvas but also you know still being durable yeah i remember them being very crunchy and crinkly at first or or the opposite being like almost vulnerable like so flexible that you could set them even on a stone on a rock pile, and they would come back looking a little bit pissed off at you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, game changer fill and moving from poly beads
0: to sand was a. I, th- I think the waxed canvas style bags with sand fill are the most incredible change in our sport uh, in terms of what it means for realistic, real-world, usable precision. Um, I, I think it's it can't go understated, and it, it can be understated way too easily. I'll say it that way. It um, can't, can't be overstated. It can't be overstated, but I think most people understate it. Like, yeah, I use a game-changer with sand. Like, no, no, you don't understand. I just practiced this weekend with a full-size game-changer with poly beads, and it worked great. But it, so it was. Takes more effort. It takes a lot more effort to stay consistent versus a sand-filled bag. And uh, now, at the downside, being the sand-filled bags tend to wear at a faster rate. They get wet. They're very hard to use if they're wet. So there are some downsides but for the for the practical purpose. That system allowed you to let a rifle get dead stable with no additional wobble. Takes and there's no heartbeats. Like just all the things. And all of a sudden, you go, "Is this like this? Feels like I'm shooting from a bipod." Mm -hmm. And it is, for me at least, it's as good or better than a bipod more often than it is um, without a bag and just shooting from a bag and bipod. I I prefer shooting off of a bag.
1: Yep. So then we got the Area 419 uh, creation and Grey Ops. It made similar plates to Gamer plates and uh, attaching.
0: Yeah, the first one was the RCX. Um, Excuse me. The first one was the rail changer. That rail changer with the pint size where you could put the spigot through the top slot and hook it to your rifle so that you had both hands free to just pick up the rifle with a bag attached, which also spawned out of the idea. The original Game Changer, the OG, had straps that you would slide it over your barrel system and cinch it down. Well, that was nice except, you know, you don't want to have to take it on and off and maybe you just want it small so you could get on certain barricades easier. And so I used the rail changer, the spigot, to get on a rifle and that was what really helped me understand how to become efficient with my motions because once I didn't have to and it it's ta- it taught me the valuable lesson of focusing on one area of practice at a time. I used to, you know, you have to pick up your rifle, pick up your bag, and it was just sort of like, well, that's what you do. You pick up your rifle and you pick up your bag. They're two separate hands and you just do your thing. Once I got the rail changer and realized if I don't have to do that, look at how much faster I can transition. And then I thought, "Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. I bet we can optimize our footfalls to be more efficient here, which I did become more efficient not thinking about the bag. And then when I would decouple the bag, all of a sudden I'm like, I'm slow again. Ah, so my, my speed is not coming from just footfalls. It's also all the things that happen while I'm putting and placing a rifle. Let me focus on that independently. Bang. I became a much better shooter very, very quickly when I realized how to practice those things independently. And the R stick rail changer from 419 was one, the first product
1: truly gave me the idea to start working independently on those two skills it surprises me that we don't see that as much or if at all anymore because i still think it's a great option it allows you to level your rifle a lot easier than the plate style attachment method
0: yeah i i stopped using it because it was harder to take on and off Um, but that said i do think that the plates offered another level of
1: convenience. For sure. They're still pretty popular. Yeah,
0: they give you a good solid platform to increase the footprint of your rifle. Now, I think there's still some downsides to doing that for the elite shooter, but somewhere between the beginner and an an elite, there's this intermediate area where having a plate and a bag attached to each other is a net benefit.
1: Like You'll actually do more. Well, like you were saying, it's one less thing you've got to worry about. So you can worry about moving your feet efficiently and building a position Mm -hmm. that's at your natural point of aim behind the rifle x y and z it it does make sense but um we we talked about the benefits and downsides of the the plate in general in the uh podcast before so i guess yeah i don't think we need to rehash it but uh i agree with you that it it was a it's a great transition phase for people um coming up from brand new to the mid-pack yeah it's a very easy way to move your trajectory and
0: focus on one element at a time and take some stress out of you while you're going through a pretty stressful
1: match um you want to go next or you want me to go next you go next because okay. i'm going to think about my next big one I, uh, I know what it is but for me and this is a little bit of like self-promotion but um for me once i f- figured out how to attach a timer to my rifle the the stress level was reduced and I get points still to this day every single match by having a crush it timer attached to my rifle and That's and being well aware of the time inside of the stage, you know? You beat me to it. Oh, okay. Because I was going to give you credit for being the <laughs>
0: the reason and impetus for me having to slow down. And I mean, we said it in the first couple episodes of this series, you know, 80 episodes, 90 episodes ago, whatever the heck it was. Um, but... I was one of the faster shooters because I would just be that guy rip from position to position, close the bolt. There's a target Reticles still flying in at like a mill every 10th of a second. And bang, you snap a snap a shot while your reticles, it literally feels like you're shooting every target as a mover. And when I ended up getting your time, you were convincing me like, Hey man, you're shooting too, too fast. Like why don't you just slow down? You got tons of time left. Okay. I had a hard time doing it, but then I got one of your timers and it forced me to just be aware of time so i could recognize i got way more time left than i think i even could remotely use i'll just slow this thing down and i started shooting incredibly well
1: yeah i was just randomly looking at um facebook uh what do they do the reminder or this this point this photo photo memory stuff like that that pops up and it's it's been like almost five years at this point since the first day that i shot and and dry fired with um with a timer on my rifle and i can't imagine not knowing what the elapsed time of a stage is at this point it's very rare that i ever try to start the timer and it doesn't start so it might happen one out of a hundred stages at this point but um and there's certain stages i don't start it on like the skill stage because i don't really care um i I just want to get good shots but knowing where you're at in the stage is uh is super critical for me personally it's not you know it's it's different for everyone, but for me it helps me stay calm, knowing that I have plenty of time to navigate the stage, I make better shots, and then if you have that, that instance where you have a mag jam or something that you need to troubleshoot, you know how much time you have, and I like I said, I, I've gotten points at every every match because I know the time, and sometimes it's because I speed up and most of the time it's because I slow down and make, it, make the shots right, you know? Yeah. Um, next thing that made
0: it was a huge impact that I didn't realize it was such a huge impact, uh, going to an adjustable system in terms mm. of chassis. Yeah. The, and it's, it's not that I didn't, I mean, i I spent years shooting st- standard stocks, but they weren't adjustable length of pull. They didn't have an adjustable grip. Um, they were just, once you got it, that's what you get and you'd buy parts to bolt on after the fact, but they weren't adjustable ergonomically. And when I first switched over to the ACC, the original ACC, I remember at first thinking, "Oh, this feels good," but I I didn't really know if it was better or worse than a, a stock. I just noticed it feels pretty good, and it wasn't until I, I took the time after it was actually that was your finale, best finale fish it show, my finish. My finish over, it finish ever, by the was, way. It was my best finale finish. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, no, I need to go back to a six XC and uh, no weights in the original in the original ACC chassis. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the best I ever performed. To that date was with that chassis, and I thought. Ah, oh, at first I thought it was just because you know I was shooting well, but then I started tinkering with the weighting, and I remember right when I started shooting it, how it just felt more consistent on recoil. It just handled much more consistently post shot than the other systems that I was using, and I just remember going, "This is really going to be that good." Then I actually started tinkering with weighting and moving weights around front to back and getting it balanced out the way I wanted. And then I shortened up the length of pull and went, okay, now I get it. This is what it's supposed to be like. And you can really dial in how the reticle moves. So, you know, maybe it kicks a mil to a mil and a half with one system, but then you switch systems, get the length of pull, right? Get your body behind the rifle square and have good rifle fundamentals. All of a sudden that drops to half a mil, quarter mil or less. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. Now I don't have to fight with where, and it was consistently like in that half mil range as opposed to, it's maybe a mil to three mils vertical rise it's really it was difficult to understand prior to that that i thought having you know, two to three mils of variation in my elevation of my reticle post shot was normal mm-hmm. and i'm not saying it's not normal but it is it was normal for that system in the way that it fit me then i switched got something that fit me better and all of a sudden it dropped to half and i had plus or minus like a half a mil from that and now I'm always looking in the same spot in my reticle for the target and suddenly I see more. Suddenly I can actually respond to shots and not just, oh, where did I miss what happened. And that was a monumental image in my brain to be able to say, I know where the reticle should be. Why is it not here? Oh, I get it now. This is the cause. So and that was a big game changer for me. Big leap forward. Find a rifle system that fits you and can be adjusted to match your exact body. Uh, and needs.
1: yeah it took me a long time to figure that out um but I, I started with a adjustable chassis and uh you know was definitely messing with it from the start with the balance point and then companies coming out with different weight kits um i had the gray ops one yep and then i had made my own internal one because i had to be a comp at the time and there weren't any internal weights available so i had like ordered some lead in ingots on amazon and milled them and threaded them i'm like, man. It sucks machining lead. By the way, oh yeah, I bet <laughs> you're not stopped. supposed to do it's that sticky. technically. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Don't
0: you need to have a hood and like? You know, I wasn't systems? melting it.
1: I was just throwing but lead chunks. Dust of it. is worse than no. The... There's no dust involved. It's like you're you're milling chewing gum and it's throwing it. It mainly gets <laughs> mainly just gets built up on the mill. You know, you uh, want like a two foot something and low rpms and just force it. Anyway, I don't recommend it to anyone. I do oh, not. Don't do it. Don't do it. It it, it took way too long. I could have just hammered it in there and it would have stayed in there. Um, That would have been fine. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, to to the point, um, once I figured out that, man, this rifle recoils much more consistently when it's resting on its balance point on a game changer bag that's sand filled, um, then the goal became like how do I get my rifle to balance at that point and there wasn't a lot of options at the time so people were bolting weights on the outsides of their chassis yeah. and, and you know coming up with ways to put weight on their rifle and I think that it was there was double motivation for people there was hey make it heavier so you can feel the recoil less but then The ones that really understood it were the ones that were like, okay, I need to get it to this balance point, because I still picked up people that had those 23 to 25-pound rifles back in the day, and I would just pick them up where I would expect them to balance, and they would nosedive, or the back of it would fall backwards, and I'm like, okay, this guy is just going through the motions, they're not understanding what the actual purpose of this is, so... yep. I think there's there's two different you know things you need to think about in that regard and and it's really proven by the the Okies and and uh, like people like Chris Catalic where the rifles aren't super heavy they're just really well balanced and they're shooting in a dead stock like the uh, foundation and yep. they just have everything um, really perfectly perfectly balanced on that balance point in the center of that bag and they understand how to manage recoil and i guarantee their reticle motion is as good or better than ours so it's um there's multiple ways to get it done understanding the, the purpose is what's really really important
0: yeah i definitely agree that the finding the major pivot point here we're talking about is just simply do you find a product that is balanced well that it fits you mm-hmm. and if those things are rifle, rifle setup you are giving yourself a major advantage to continue learning faster. Um,
1: let's see. Next big one. Ooh. I only have one big one left, but you might spark some other ones. Um, this one's really okay. recent. Yeah, I know. That's what I was going to say. That's <laughs> going to be the finale for me. Um, there's Okay, then I know which one you're talking about. This is one that's
0: less recent, but still very recent. Uh, the 4190 and M-Series dies. Hmm. So The Zero, to me, the Zero press is interesting in that it's quote just a press right but yeah. i have no there is no way to make better ammo than having no you have no i have no uncertainty that my press is going to cause any issues um the efficiency when i use the zero because it's it's got a long stroke it's very heavy i have to use less force but the die specifically the m series die i just switched over to that maybe six ish months ago maybe yeah somewhere around there <clears throat> that thing being able to just simply bottom out a die against a shell holder back off you know ten thousandths on the like a, on a micrometer adjust and then go size a piece nope five thousandths more did you size a piece okay two thousandths more size a piece there we go size 10 more check it yep same thing and just keep going that has been Dude, that has been awesome. Like, yeah. I can't wait to buy the rest of my dies in a micrometer-style adjust system so that I can just go, yeah, I need it to do this and just check a piece and never have to unseat the stupid little lock rings and then fidget with a die that's kind of torqued in and locked against the die ring and you can't move it. And then, bam, it moves
1: too much and now all of a sudden you're SOL. I think everybody <laughs> senses your frustration in that regard. Um, oh, I will say I don't know if it's specifically um zero related, but we can definitely give credit to it. But when I understood how lubricating brass could affect your shoulder bump and yeah. uh The relationship there, uh, that was a game changer for me because I would constantly be adjusting that die you're talking about, the old, the the different style with the ring, and and, and I would get frustrated. Um, I would think that it maybe was slop in my press, which, you know, we both run the zero now, so that's out of the question. So I guess that does give you that sense of, okay, process of elimination, I know it's not the press. Um, But when I figured out that lubrication on the, the brass, whether it's, all the way down to the extractor groove whether it's a proper thickness uh, whether it's a constant film build whether it's freshly applied or been uh allowed to gas gas off the alcohol or whatever is the vehicle that it's um that it's suspended in when i figured that out i was like holy crap now my shoulder bumps are within a half a uh, half a tenth yeah um before that, I would constantly be chasing it, you know, two, three thousandths bump. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. And they think, hey, man, because my die is set and my sh- and my shell holder is locked in and, and um, I haven't adjusted anything since last time. Like, I should be able to just stroke the press down and get, get what I want. Um, if you're not, I would highly recommend looking at your lubrication method and type and trying to find a way to make that more consistent. Because these presses, just about all of them, should give you a constant stroke within a thaw or so. It's probably lubrication related. Yeah, I would agree with that.
0: Yeah, die-in presses have come a long way. I mean, it's such old technology. The Zero, to me, was the first press that really went it above and beyond yeah. to go, hey, we're going to try making this thing so overbuilt. Yeah, it, it, you can't do something to this that's going to make it flex. And then being able to use it a turret and take the best of a quick, quick adjust where you're not constantly swapping out dies and accidentally getting the wrong thing set wrong just t- turn, click, lock, set, go. That's a, That was a game changer for me in my process. Uh, and I just thought of one more actually, but I'm going to – do you want to do eh, – I guess I'll do this one next because um, it's one I, for, I forgot-ish because it was so close. I've just used it so long now I forgot about it. Workspace. Um, one of the challenges I had early on was just how do I make my dope cards – Where do I put all my gear as I'm prepping for stages? And I found myself um, distracted by conversations. And when I would hunch over my bag and get digging for things, I was constantly in and out of a bag. The Armageddon gear uh, tripod caddy. Yeah. That forced me. And the idea behind that was kind of, again, it was interesting that I felt like I was constantly searching for things that I should be working at around my tripod, looking through glass, but then I need to go do something and I'd have to break my, you know, from my position at say the tripod to go down to my pack. Oh, somebody's shooting, get, walk back to my tripod, get behind glass and just keep breaking that cycle. And I never felt like I could work in one area without looking like, and I, you know, bluntly people would come up and talk to me or I would go talk to them and I would get distracted and forget things. Mm -hmm. So the tripod caddy was a way for me to simply put everything that I needed to have on my person, to from matchbook to pens to backup ear pro to the things that are going to go on my rifle, cigarettes, lighters, you name it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your uh, your everything you need is working in your workspace, so that I could reference the matchbook, watch targets being shot, look down, see that the matchbook says, "Yep, that's the target." Look back up, there it is. Write a dope card, spin my kestrel, have it in the kestrel pocket. That, to me, was a streamlining process for how my brain was able to take all of the information. If I was standing next to my tripod, I was doing work. Time to go. If I'm not, then you're doing whatever else. But you don't have to be. I, can, I know I'm engaged. So that way I can look and feel busy. And people were less likely to come talk to me while I was in the middle of something. And that was a really big moment for me, uh, personally, because it, it gave me more focus during a match to have that hey it's it's focus time now okay it's buddy time talk time go have story time when you're walking away from your tripod
1: no you're saying the word personally personally <laughs> personally oh yeah yeah remember we were doing the edit. preference and purpose and purpose
0: <laughs> alright so personally. we got one more
1: um, yep this is once, a big one yeah well how do you know I'm gonna guess I'd, it's a game changer um, so once I realized that your velocity changes um, yep more than just your first hundred rounds that in and of itself was a game changer for me to kind of keep an eye on that i mean fire cracking in a barrel um is in my opinion i don't know if we talked about this but it is the primary source you know fire cracking and fouling in the barrels is the primary source for velocity migration over time and every barrel that has more than you know 20 to 50 rounds on it starts that fire cracking process but it doesn't finish firecracking or come to a state of normalcy where like it's equilibrium. the same. yeah that equilibrium yeah. is the word that's a perfect word it does not get there in at a certain time like there's no threshold that says after 150 rounds you're done you're yeah. done firecracking it's not no. like a little red popper on a turkey Bing. no no and if you use those things by the way because <laughs> thanksgiving was way back um if you use those things, that way overcooks your bird. You need to get a thermometer and double-check it. You know, that's why a lot of these turkeys are dried. Dry as a popcorn fart. But don't use that little red red rocket. Um, <laughs> uh, so once I realized that velocity migration is, can be half of your barrel life, and that's an exaggeration, obviously, but I consider it to be uh, suspect until proven otherwise, that was a huge game-changer for me. And so I was, I was using... I would never walk by a chance to check my velocity or my uh, zero, and you taught me that. Actually, the very first time that I was very aware of it was when you won the um, Midwest, back when it was the Midwest region, and we were all lumped all together. You won the Midwest regional finale and the series, and we were at Georgia's place. Yep. And you were there in the morning, after we had already zeroed and shot the day before, you were there with headlights on the zero board, right before the (laughs) safety brief shooting at the zero board and i'm like what in the heck is this wacko doing and uh it it just started my gears turning and i don't think it's essential to do that and to have that level of obsession with your zero and your speed to win matches it's obvious it's not there's certain people that don't feel the same way we do but in my opinion, it gives me confidence and it helps me understand. It's like it's like you saying with the zero press that you know that your press is not the problem. Well, yeah. I know that my, z- my zero and my velocity is not the problem because exactly. I won't walk by a chance to check it. So that that was a game changer. The initial part of this game changer, the second game changer, was the new the new Garmin uh, chronograph that came out. Because now we can keep continuous tabs on our velocity. And, yeah. you know, who knows what the future will hold with the longevity and the... Uh, the changes that 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 they're going to make with that maybe and in the future and or the app that they have who knows it could get even better but as of right now it is we i think we called it a disruptor it's like it's changing people's perception of what's possible and that is the definition of a game changer so that was way cool um there's one more that i want to mention i think it probably gets
0: it's so ubiquitous now that it almost gets no credit and it deserves a lot of credit. Perfect. And that's the sol Kestrel with a solver. Yeah. The before that. I mean, you can use apps and you can create profiles, but there's something about pulling local data when you learn how to use it. That in measuring the wind live and having an anemometer directly in your hand, you can go, "What's this wind?" And being able to reference it, shoot it, wait, reference it, shoot it. That will help your fundamental understanding of what winds feel like and that you know early on it feels a little confusing hey i'm measuring 10 but it's only shooting like it's way off i only need to shoot like five mile an hour okay then you go to the next match and you're just like man it's measuring like five but gosh i gotta shoot like a 10 mile an hour and you realize it's not the same then you go man it's measuring six and guess what i'm shooting a six huh and then slowly over a lot of time you start to see the things that are affecting what causes a wind reading in an elevation solution that actually translate to downrange to where you can just simply then link those together and you make better intuitive calls and then you just need it you have your kestrel and your solver there uh you know applied ballistics is in the kestrel 5700 being able to do that versus have to go hand jam solutions uh, or pre-written dope cards which is what i used when i first started having a you know, yeah, pocket a hard reference table—a literally dope. hard table. Yeah, interpolating every distance, and in some cases not. Learning to use the ballistic solver to your advantage to verify and true out, and then just go. Yeah, it
1: should be this. Bang, it should be this. Bang. And oh. The, the reliable. <coughs> the thing about the Kestrel 5700 Elite AB is the reliability and the durability cannot be overstated oh, we use them we use them in oh, all elements gosh. you can drop them I mean I have seen a couple of kestrels need to be fixed but but for the most part like this device is super complicated with an interface that's <laughs> yeah. that's you know once you get used to it it's pretty it's pretty intuitive it takes a little while to figure it out but but it, it has an interface with a, a intensely complex ballistics solver inside it that makes it seem like you know anybody can access it and it gives you good data as long as you put good data in you're going to get a good ballistic solution and it's it's robust i I can't believe how i mean i've been using the same one for four seasons now and you know you and i both shoot on the order of 25 matches a year like every other weekend we're shooting a match of some of some sort um i just can't believe that uh you can take your kestrel you and i can compare our kestrels when we get out of the van we're going to have within one degree of temperature, you know, the pressure is going to be Tens, very 1%. Hundreds if of it. if yeah. 1% different, like there is nothing that gives me more confidence than when I open it up and it, and it tells me that information because I've never seen it be wrong. Yeah.
0: It doesn't get wrong like, oh, yeah, it's 3 tenths off. It gets wrong like, oh, it's 1 100th difference than what you really needed, and that's you. Yeah. That's your rifle system having uncertainty. It, it is incredible that that goes unstated that even if you look back you know hand jammed dope cards verified legit dope data on previous engagements dope cards where you actually had to walk out and then hand write everything and then extrapolate then transitioning that to a solver where you could punch in certain things and see how well it lined up and then just keep that is i i don't know that this sport would not be what it is were it not for those tools all the tools we've referenced i mean it's becoming better and better but that was to me one of the crux of being able to hit targets that are very very small with rifles that are very precise at distances that make you go yeah i wouldn't be able to do that yeah
1: i mean <laughs> we're reaping the benefits or paying the consequences of that whichever way you want to look at it with yeah. the target size today i mean that's the target true. sizes are you know a, a one moa match is coming where every every target will be a, a minute i bet we we have got to be on the horizon we'll call it a minute a normal, match i would shoot a normal it normal skill yeah
0: the minute match. Who's going to be the first to put it on? I don't know. Ten targets. Maybe one, miles. To ten targets. Sixty seconds. One MOA. Wow. Let's do it. Ten positions.
1: To be an easy match to set up. Never take more than one shot per position. Let's have this a new skill stage that's that's minutes. That's that's a troop line in minutes. Hmm. Minute targets.
0: That would be interesting.
1: I bet you, you wouldn't run the barricade as fast if the target uh, was a minute. You're probably
0: right. Hey, I wonder. <laughs> so if they legit, I got a here's a thought thought experiment. If they never change or if they do change the skill stage to be the one that we shot at the finale it is going to 20, change in 2023 yep. does that mean I will forever hold the record yes. of the fastest skill stage ever recorded in yes. PRS history mm-hmm.
1: yeah right, in like the like this whatever stuff. skill stage that, only that was only 25
0: yep. second skill stage
1: right. yep well, that's a cool I think it's going to gonna change, and I think it's about time. I think it's the right time for it. I yep. shot the new one, and <laughs> I think it's the right time uh, for you. That's like you definitely. retiring from the club matches. Well. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna seriously end it. <laughs> one, you? If, if the people listening didn't hear the uh, Cortina interview with Francis, first of all, go go and listen to it. It's on the Believe the Target uh, YouTube channel. He will go down in history if he never shoots another one-day match uh, again and doesn't blow finish below 5 he will be the only one to ever finish 100% oh. of his matches in the top 5 was
0: it and it wasn't believe the target it was uh, uh with Phil Ka- winter circle with Phil oh you're right it was yeah. winter circle winter circle, winter circle. With phil yep. but yeah there is one with believe the target well, well you
1: should watch the believe the target interview with Francis <laughs> it's awesome and then when he won the uh hellfire who's your hellfire match he was on the um winter circle with Phil Cashin and uh they talked about that and phil looked all that stuff up he loves to look up uh, people's records and it's pretty amazing how some of these people rise to the top super quick and then other people have just a history of just punishing us all so yep. francis is one of those both of those i mean you came up quick and you punish us so well
0: yeah i did a good job at one days i mean i do, don't get me wrong i mean i shoot well um, yeah, it's do. it's definitely a it's a sport that as we as a field get more and more skilled the number of more skilled shooters will tend to only go up yeah i then. mean
1: the series is still young it's, 11, yeah.
0: it's the it's eleventh season so
1: yeah uh, and, 11th all or 12th. Th- and,
0: and all of the things that we've referenced in this particular episode have happened in the last five years
1: well except you discovering that a seventeen hmr is better <laughs> than a pellet gun come on <laughs> to but be yeah, fair, everything from yeah, that point on
0: yeah I mean, so when you look at the progression of that not only is the field better the equipment's better the first five years of prs um i wish i would have gotten to say i could be a part mm-hmm. of that just so i understand and have a real relationship but there's a dozen shooters that still shoot still today shooting, that, yeah. they could tell you that exact story and they're like you don't even understand, don't understand. Like, i mean we, we were lo- shooting 12 pound
1: 308s a lot of them were <laughs> roing at the finale which was really cool i yeah, mean it was There was quite a few that I'm like, okay, these guys are OGs. Mm -hmm. Yep, PRS numbers in the zeros. Yeah. single digits, Singles and doubles. Way cool. All right, well, that about wraps up all the game changers I had. I'm sure there's a few more. I'm very interested once we post this episode to see if other people have things that either influence them personally and change the game for them. and Yeah, drop it in. Yeah, or they're things that you think we missed. Um, These are just things that we interacted with but there might be something on the west coast that was different i mean we didn't mention the skypod stuff like that 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 um changed the way people look at the rifle and the weapon system but um but that's one that pops into my mind Ah. and then there's there's probably a dozen other ones that that other people are like yeah you guys should talk about this well yeah we probably should have but we're gonna cut it off at an hour yeah we'll do another (laughs) one at some point game changer part (laughs) two all right man uh, the match has already started you gotta own it every day